You are listening to The Arrived Podcast, episode number 14. Hey, gents, this is Bethany Reed Peterson of Atelier Reed, and you are listening to Arrived, the podcast dedicated to helping single guys bring their A game home. In the show, we're going to deep dive and get real on how you guys can better host your mates, impress your dates, and crush your goals, all by making simple changes to your space and your habits. So if you want to come home knowing you've arrived, join me. Are you ready, gents? Let's do this. Hey, gent. Just between you and me, have you ever had a moment where you got thrown off guard by a memory that came flooding back or a photo that you came across out of like a shoebox or something or even a post on social media that knocked you a bit sideways and it made you like question your entire existence and what the hell you're doing with your life? Yes? Oh, good. Oh, good. Okay, it's not just me. Well, don't worry. Your secret's safe with me. So can I just tell you about a moment I had recently? I mean, we're all friends here, right? Okay, good. All right. So the other day, I saw a post on Instagram. Yes, you know where this is going. I saw a post on Instagram featuring a restaurant called Clos Maggiore which is a fine dining establishment in Covent Garden, which is one of London's most beautiful, gorgeous neighborhoods. The post read, regularly voted London's most romantic restaurant. And yes, it is. I can testify that it is. I used to live in London and was taken there once for Valentine's Day and sat next to Ronnie Wood. Yes, the Ronnie Wood, like of the Rolling Stones, Ronnie Wood. And his 19-year-old date, maybe, which that unto itself, that just that was totally surreal. And yeah, also like a bit creepy, but that's another story for another time. Now, I'm not going to lie. Seeing this post not only brought me back, it stung. It stung because I saw this while about to go out into a snowstorm in Minnesota, where I now live, to do a Target run for things like Advil and paper towels, in my Ugg boots and in my winter parka. Pretty much the most unsexy, pedestrian, suburban thing you can do and wear ever. But hey, no judgment. This was a mean reminder that I was a long, long way from that life that I once had getting dressed up every weekend and basically living this super glamorous lifestyle of being taken out to really nice dinners and staying in a gorgeous part of one of the best cities in the world. In this moment, I got a bit sad sack on myself, as if you couldn't already tell. I only thought... I don't live in London anymore. I don't hang out with Ronnie Wood anymore. Oh my God, I never did. Why that thought would even cross my mind is bonkers. But here's where it actually just gets to be totally absurd. My next thought was, Bethany, look at your life now. (laughs) Completely... Fucking absurd, if you don't mind my French. 
completely absurd that I would just like be such a downer on myself and and frankly in my current life, which is pretty great now, but that's also another story. But isn't that hilarious? I find that hilarious that my mind would just go there like that. For that brief moment, my mind actually tricked me into thinking thoughts that are also untrue on so many levels. If I look back at that era of my life holistically, there were plenty of things about my London life then that I found taxing. Yes, that was a great, fun memory. And yes, it was still a great time in my life, for sure. But it wasn't truly a measure of success in a previous version of my life that I was equating it to be in that moment on that target run. It was simply an image of a restaurant. But you feel me on this, right? I mean, you've been there. I know you've been there. We've all been there. We've all been caught off guard at some point when we're feeling totally unsexy, a tad vulnerable, and we make these comparisons. We make these comparisons of these beautiful fond memories that we have of previous iterations of our lives those gorgeous rose-tinted memories, and we compare them to our lives now in a literal or figurative snowstorm of misguided emotion. Those past self-memories, if you will, which we hold in such high esteem, we can sometimes mistake for an entire previous era of our lives. And we can all too easily forget that swirling around that fond memory were probably also circumstances that were also not totally ideal. If the old saying goes, comparison is the thief of joy, not only were truer words never spoken, but that statement is also rather nuanced if you think about it. We're at once taught that we shouldn't compare ourselves to others, and that's obvious why. But what about self-comparison? What about when we negatively compare our current selves and our current situation to our past selves, as I did that day? Or when we're in a frame of mind or in a place in our lives that we'd rather not be in, say, after a breakup or a new move or a redundancy or layoff. I want to make a quick distinction here. I'm not talking about nostalgia because nostalgizing, while it can be wistful, usually produces a positive mental result, a warm feeling which buoys us up in times of uncertainty. In fact, studies show that nostalgizing can actually counteract boredom, loneliness, and anxiety. And I'll put a quick New York Times article in the show notes in case you'd care to do a deeper dive on that. But I'm talking about a way of thinking about our past that actually produces a negative result, as was the case in my instance, which I'll tell you a little bit more about. Psychologists might refer to this as self-discontinuity, but for the purposes of our chat today, I like to think about this as past self-comparison. In a way, this kind of comparison is much more insidious than comparison to others because we can often think, well, I've obviously done something right in the past to have that level of success before. I've had a stellar job. I've lived in a cool city. I've had fantastic relationships. I've proven 
that I can do this. So why isn't my life stacking up now? This kind of comparison is insidious because if we allow ourselves to frame our current situation in a comparison of perceived past success and current perceived failure, even if it's short-lived, it can serve to utterly paralyze our momentum in this current stage of our lives, if we let it. For me, success was about moving out of my home state of Minnesota. It was about escaping the winter, which I found oppressive. It was about broadening my horizons and setting my shingle up overseas. After 15 years spent between San Francisco and New York, Melbourne and Edinburgh, and finally London, I moved back to my home state and I willingly made this decision. It was time for something new. And it was time for something more progressive than living like a perennial college student in the most expensive city in Europe. Ironically, Minneapolis had a lot to offer. So I bought an old schoolhouse in the sticks just outside the city and spent the better part of three years comparing my previous life in London to my current existence in a quiet rural town in Minnesota. Kel fucking surprise. This comparison and this line of thought, <laughs> oh, it did not go well. And yours truly found herself in a self-imposed pain cave when she totally had the key to get out. Part of this narrative of my past self-comparison for so long was that I was feeding myself lies of shoulds about moving back to America. I would think, well, I should get a super fancy job easily in Minneapolis because I worked for a top design house in London. I should have a house that's magazine-worthy because I gave up my cosmopolitan London lifestyle to get on the property ladder. I should have friends here with the exact interests and perspectives as my friends in the UK because I have those interests and perspectives. Are you guys hearing the bullshit in all of this? Are you laughing just a little bit like I am because maybe you also recognize this in yourself? I can laugh about this now because I've extracted myself from that way of thinking. But of course, at that time, when I was going through this sort of stinking thinking, as my mother would say, it was a truly visceral experience, which I thought was my reality. And what's truly insidious about all this is that in my bullshit game of shooting, I really was telling myself subconsciously, Bethany, you're backpedaling, you're stagnating, and you're failing. It did feel like I was failing, and I felt like a failure, and I shut down. I shut down socially, I shut down looking for meaningful work, and I shut down any sense of truly objective thinking of realizing that in actuality, I was progressing, even if it wasn't apparent to me in that present moment. When we compare our lives now in this moment to how our life used to be and miraculously forget all the shit that came along with all the great times and miraculously forget that we are actually progressing right now in this moment and we throw on top of that the shoulds, 
even if they're subconscious, it can really become a powerful cocktail for inertia. And we stop doing the very things that we actually need to do to cultivate our progression in the next beautiful phase of our lives. Once again, does this sound at all like you at any point? When you look around your space and you look at where you're at in your life right now, you might think your gains should be farther along. But I assure you, if after having that moment of grief, you step out of that narrative, even momentarily, and you remind yourself why you've made that decision consciously to leave that role or to leave your former city or to leave that relationship and think about what you're walking into and walking toward, while that may be slow, it is anything but stagnation. I like to think of these points in our lives as fallow years. So in the growing process, farmers will sometimes not plow or cultivate land for a growing season in order to allow the soil to rest, regain fertility, and the vital nutrients that it needs to yield a harvest in future seasons. I think we as humans need this too. This perceived idleness doesn't actually mean backpedaling or inertia or even failure. It instead means that it's a vital time for recalibration and revitalization. Sometimes in a world of continual pursuit to outdo ourselves, be 1% better every day, compound our gains, and bask in social media comparison, even if it's social media comparison to ourselves, we all need reminding that life is actually not supposed to be a steady incline. It ebbs and it flows. And if it was a steady incline, it would actually be rather absurd on a level. So if this is hitting you at all in a sore spot, whether that is the true visceral pain cave of a moment in your life where you're really struggling, like I was three years ago, or whether you're a little bit further along in that process and you can find yourself in these little moments of absurdity and be able to have a bit of a laugh about it now and snap yourself out of it, regardless of where you're at, I want to share with you four things that I did that snapped me out of this self-comparison thinking. You'll notice that, per my example, I still get knocked off guard sometimes, and occasionally it happens, right? That's okay. The difference is, I trust my resilience these days. So let's chat about four things that you can do right now to beat past self-comparison at its own game. Number one, give into it, but don't give up the ship. So I bought this signet ring once in Brooklyn while visiting friends. I think it was uh, back in 2011. So I've had it for a while. It's got the words emblazoned on it, don't give up the ship. Now, don't give up the ship is a naval quote from the War of 1812 when a dying American naval officer commanded his men to not surrender their ship to British forces, even as the ship was quite literally sinking. I love this story, morbid as it perhaps is, but hey, that's history for you. For me personally, that saying has been a wonderful reminder that even when it feels like my life is a total clusterfuck, I just need to keep going because something good will come if I figuratively don't give up the ship. It's so simple, but it's remarkable how much having this ring has helped me to maintain my focus in tough times 
it's kind of become a mantra for me of sorts. And whether it's a ring or simply a saying that you find that speaks to you, having that simple mantra to refer back to when the shit does hit the fan and you're going through a very real and very understandable sense of depression or a similar dark time, or you're just having a little moment on your target run, as we all do, this is a wonderful way to steer your mental and emotional ship back from the proverbial brink. Number two. Stay connected in your social circles and help a brother out. Whether it's a breakup, a move, a redundancy, our tendency as humans, like most animals, is to isolate. It's to shut off in times of extreme stress, such as a big life transition. And I don't want to go all gender role here, but I do think for you guys especially, The tendency is to diminish or stuff your feelings in periods like this of past self-comparison and hope that if you just bury these emotions that they'll disappear. There's a difference between needing a growing season or a fallow year of introversion and introspection, but don't make the mistake that I did and become an island. What snapped me out of this was volunteering for a local charity and reconnecting with friends that I hadn't seen in years. And sometimes, guys, it even meant saying yes to invitations that I really would rather have avoided, like dinner parties. In short, my introverted ass had to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. One way I reconciled my desire for introversion with an equally innate need for connection was to meet friends one-on-one on either FaceTime or in person so I could engage in chatter that was of greater depth. By reorbiting in my friendship circles, I realized the best way for me to alleviate my own past self-comparison and feelings of inertia was to help a friend through a difficult moment. This is a really tricky one because we can often forget that because we're going through a rough patch ourselves, that we can still contribute a great deal to our friends and that we can still be a great friend simply by showing up and listening. So the next time you're feeling pangs of past self-comparison, stagnancy, or the like, reach out to a friend and just see how they're doing. Take some time to listen, to reconnect, and to venture forward in your friendship. It's profound how this can take you out of a sense of perceived isolation and stagnance. Number three, take up a new physical hobby or revive an old one. When I lived in the UK, I ran a marathon for the first time in 2009. It was an intensely personal experience, much like the pursuit of any goal is for anyone, of course. But then I dropped the sport for about, I don't know, eight years or something thereafter. When I moved back to the States, I started running again. While running with a club was short-lived, I found that for me, running is truly a solitary sport. I did, however, get involved with half marathon and marathon races locally. It was perhaps less about getting involved in my community this time and more about having an even small feeling of forward movement. Literally, I suppose, because when you're out there running for three, four hours, sometimes all you can think about is just putting one foot in front of the other. Also on those long runs, I was granted thinking time. I was granted the ability to gain perspective about what was happening in this new iteration of my life, and I was able to feel more rooted in my new surroundings as I discovered new neighborhoods, new trails, and new physical challenges that I hadn't known previously. 
In this way, running helped me alleviate a sense of regression. And in those times of past self-comparison, I was able to counteract my brain with, yes, but I'm doing something I've never done before, which is to run my second marathon or my fifth marathon or my ninth marathon. Effectively, having this outlet to move my body each day fueled a new sense of identity when I felt out to sea so much of the time. It also taught me a ton about endurance and other areas of my life. If you've got a gym membership or you're involved in a sport, keep showing up, even when you don't want to. And if you've left your heart in another city, as I did, it's okay to leave it there. But while you're doing that, also go explore what your new city or what your new surroundings have to offer. And do that by foot, by bike, by skateboard, whatever. Whether that's a running route in a new neighborhood you've never been to or a simple stroll around the park that's right next to your flat. There's something truly connective that happens when you're experiencing your new surroundings in a manner that's totally physical. You slowly start to feel more rooted in that new area. I won't say that it's going to feel like home, but there is something that happens in your brain where you do start to then feel more rooted very gradually over time. And staying on top of your physical fitness does so much to awaken your mental and emotional state of being and bring clarity that sedentariness of body cannot. And number four, as if you didn't already know where I was going to go with this one, make sure your living space is your own personal sanctuary. Obviously, helping you on your space is what I do, so I cannot stress this enough. When we're going through periods of self-comparison, it's especially important to maintain and nurture our personal spaces because every day that that space feels right to you is another moment when you'll be able to more easily quell any sense of that comparison. This can be as grand or as simple as you'd like it to be. For me, it meant a lifelong dream of renovating a house. For you, it might mean replacing all of your old furniture or hiring painters to give the space a much-needed facelift. It can even be as simple and uncomplicated as treating yourself to a set of new bed linens, making your bed every damn day, and making sure you get a proper eight hours sleep every night. How often have you given in to sad sack thoughts simply because you're overly tired and overly stressed? And on this, here's a quick exercise to help you figure out your priority here. Firstly, do a quick scan of your space. What's one area that feels like it's needing your attention the most? Is it a cluttered kitchen? Is it a lack of personality or artwork on your walls? If you must given to the past self-comparison game here, use it to your advantage. Think back to a time where you were most happy coming home. How did that space function? Was your kitchen always tidy? Did you employ a housekeeper? Did you have a great little nook that you manufactured to just chill out in every day after work? Take cues from past home happiness here and recreate that now in your own space. And of course, if you need help with this, hit me up. Being able to come home to a space that feels like it's yours to recharge in, even if you're renting, is super important for your headspace and will help you feel like you're moving forward at any stage in your life. 
So to quickly recap these tips that help me stop negative past self-comparison, and I know are going to work for you too. Number one, give in to the angst or the grief, but don't give up the ship. Find a mantra that helps you when the going gets tough. Number two, stay connected. Reach out to a friend and see how you can help them or how you can be a friend by listening to them and their troubles. Number three, get or stay physically active. Don't let yourself become sedentary. Take up a new sport. Keep showing up for yourself physically. Not only will this box tick your innate desire for progress, but your mind and your body will thank you for it. And number four, make your space a haven. Scan your space for that thorn in the side, or if you must play the self-comparison game, take cues from a previously successful living situation and recreate this in your new or existing space. When we compare our successes of the past to the perceived pitfalls of our current situation, we take for granted the great opportunities that are waiting to be discovered and waiting to be learned. So stay open to possibilities and know that you might just be in a fallow year. I want to wrap up today with a quote that I heard recently, which really resonated. It goes, be thankful for your teachers, no matter their form. I'm going to leave it there today. Reach out to me at atelierreed.com slash contact to book a free introductory call with me. If you've listened to the show long enough now, and hey, like I said at the top, we're friends, right? So you know that I love helping you with this stuff. So don't be a stranger. I'm going to leave it at that. Stay classy. And uh, if you see Ronnie Wood, tell him Bethany says hello. I'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Arrived. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and your space is feeling a little more like a crash pad than a home, not to worry. I'm here for you, gents. Join me over at atelierreed.com slash arrived to work with me one-to-one on a design action plan to help you bring your A-game home. That's A-T-E-L-I-E-R-W-R-E-D-E dot com slash arrived. So what are you waiting for? Let's do this. I'll see you next time, guys. Have a great week.